Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the My Nights Are Booked podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Beth Pollock, and hopefully by now you've had a chance to watch the first episode of Interview with a Vampire on AMC. It premiered last night, and it was absolutely incredible. Now, you might know that the uh, the premiere episode dropped early on AMC+, so some people have been buzzing about it since last Thursday. But in terms of our coverage, we'll always be doing it after the, the linear network premiere just to give everybody a chance to see it. So um, if you're wondering why these podcasts will always come on Monday, that's, that's the big reason why. Um, one note of housekeeping. I know there's a lot of fans of Anne Rice and Interview with a Vampire that are in the UK. And AMC doesn't have the show available over there. There's a lot of shows actually that aren't available in the UK right now. And I've been talking with AMC about it. I know they're working on it. It's something they're aware of and they know that fans want to see this, the show. Um, they're dealing with some licensing issues and it all kind of ties back to um, AMC plus the fact that AMC plus isn't available in the UK, but when you think about it, the easiest way to think about it is that the uh, the challenge comes in having a lot of intellectual property, a lot of their franchises across multiple uh, streaming services. So, you know, if you're watching The Walking Dead, for example, you might watch it. You're going to probably be watching it formerly on Fox, which is now owned by Disney Plus. So you actually watch The Walking Dead on Disney Plus because of that licensing deal, they can't have, or they wouldn't be able to have the walking dead on AMC plus if it existed in, if AMC plus was available in, in the UK. So there's a lot of limitations and considerations to be made if they want to launch AMC plus in the future in the UK, if they want to um, make the shows available, they have to think about how long they want to make them available. Um, you know, and, and they're looking at Interview with a Vampire it being, you know, a, a several year franchise. So they can't get locked into an agreement without considering, you know, the, the, the space needed for expansion. So that's the, that's one of the reasons why it's so challenging right now to um, to find a lot of shows in the UK and other parts of the world. It's all tied to licensing and for better or for worse, you know, that's, that's the situation. And I, I feel terrible for anyone who isn't able to watch it because these shows, you know, and, and it's not just the walking, it's not just walking dead shows. It's not just tales of the walking dead. It's, it's uh interview with a vampire. I would imagine they're going to have this problem with the Mayfair witches. So it's, you know, it's, it's a problem and hopefully there's a solution sooner rather than later. But, um, that's kind of the situation as it is right now. For everybody who watched the first episode of Interview with a Vampire um, in the throes of increasing wonder, I hope you were as mesmerized by this episode as I was. Um, the euphoria that I felt in watching this episode stayed with me for days. Um, when we first received our screeners, we received screeners for the first four episodes and then the fifth episode came a little bit later. And as much as I wanted to binge the episodes, I knew that I had to wait and kind of take it in bite-sized chunks because I didn't want to, I, I wanted to experience every episode as much as possible. I have watched these episodes at this point several times and they're so, what I love about it is they're so rewatchable. There's so many details. If you look at the, the set designs and the costume designs and the story and the Easter eggs, I mean, they're dropping Easter eggs left and right. Um, you know, one of the most noteworthy ones is when Paul references the Mayfair witches 
at breakfast and you're like, wait a minute, he just talked about the Mayfair witches. Um, you know, there's, so there's so many references in this, in this episode and, and across all of the episodes. So, um, you know, I really think that that makes it so much more fun to, to listen. If you're a big Anne Rice fan, you can get so much out of these episodes and it's, it's a, it foreshadows what they're trying to do in building this universe because there's so many things that they're going to be getting to that we never got to see before. And, um, so it's just, it's really exciting to think that, that this was the first episode that's really launching this entire series. And I really have to take my hat off to Jacob Anderson. He does an amazing job in this episode his portrayal of human Louie is amazing. One of the things I love though, is that they, because it's a series, because of the way they, they planned it out and plotted and, and, and thought about the pacing of the series, it gives him a chance to really show off the human side of Louie that we never got to see before. Um, you know, obviously the, everyone's going to be referencing the 1994 movie and, I liked the movie, so I'm not going to, I don't have any problems with the movie, except that it wasn't long enough to tell the story that as, as it needed to be told. But in 1994, you didn't have series like The Sopranos or Game of Thrones, where you had the ability to get into the details of these stories, because that didn't, that, that wasn't happening yet. Now we understand that these, these series can get into these details and, and explore books and all of the canon and all of the source material in ways that we've never been able to do before. So being able to go back and really explore Louis's background, I think, was a really smart way to kind of enhance why he has such a problem with becoming a vampire later on. If that didn't, if that, if those moments weren't taken. And if, if you didn't focus on those things, his attachment to family, his compassion, all of those things that make him the person he is. Um, I, I don't know that you would have been able to really get that from, you know, you wouldn't understand why he has such a problem with immortality later on. And, um, the other thing that I love about the episode, I love how Sam Reed I mean, you see that as soon as as Lestat sees Louis on the street, he's intrigued. And then when they're at the fair play, the the interaction between Lestat and Louis and and Lily's sitting there, she's a an unsuspecting participant in this this tete a tete that they're having. That that she has no idea that that they're having. You know, the the attraction is already there. And as Louis tells Daniel later, you know, he he ended up leaving. He went to the fair play to see Lily, but he ended up leaving thinking only of Lestat. And we see Louis grappling with his sexuality, grappling with his, his identity. And it really is just amazing to see how it played out. It's not just a, you know, it, it's not just a happenstance meeting that leads Lestat to make Louis a vampire. They, they, there was a courtship. There was, there was a friendship that was built, and we see that as they're sitting in Jackson Square. As, as Lestat goes to dinner, you know, they go to the, the opera, and I love being able to see those moments. It's those moments that are in between the big key moments that we all know from the books. Those are the things that I love seeing more than anything. It kind of reminds me of like my brother-in-law is a huge Star Wars fan. 
he likes all of the the minor characters and all of their interactions in the background more than he likes some of the major characters. And that's kind of how I feel about Interview with a Vampire is that they take the time to tell the story in a way that it's not just jumping from big moment to big moment. It really is about taking the time to get to know the characters, their motivations, and what leads them to make the decisions that they ultimately make. And with Lestat, you see that he is head over heels for Louis. He he wasn't planning on stopping in New Orleans. That was never on his radar until he encountered Louis and he realized that he was obsessed with him. And that's where this, you know, Louis calls it being hunted, but that's where that whole thing starts is, is when he sees Louis and, and interacting with, with Paul outside the, uh, the brothel and, you know, that, that leads to where, where they end up, but, you know, getting to see them kind of in a, a more relatable way. You see their courtship and, and their friendship. And, and I think that that's just so important. Um, before we get into some of the big scenes of uh, In the Throes of Increasing Wonder, I loved the opening of the episode with Daniel Malloy. I love the idea that he's, he's got kind of like a, this master class on journalism. And, you know, he's, he's, after you watch the commercial, you know, you kind of, it pans back and you see him just on the couch, like, oh, you know, there's my commercial. He doesn't care about it. He's just trying to get through life. You know, he's like everybody over the past two years, you know, what's the deal with the sub variants? Can I go out? We find out that he has Parkinson's and that would, would limit his ability to get out into the world because he has this, this disease that could make him more susceptible to, uh, to COVID. I also think it's really fascinating to set the story amid COVID because obviously so many of us, you know, over the past two years have been confronted with issues of mortality. And, you know, it, I've lost people. I'm sure, you know, you've, it, it, my listeners have lost people. And to, to think about these creatures who just navigate life without having to worry about things like COVID is a fascinating backdrop. And I think that that was a really smart decision on the showrunner's part to, to highlight that. And, and in upcoming episodes, you'll see a little bit more of how, how they were able to film and, you know, and keep in mind they were filming during COVID. So they had all of the film protocols and, and safety protocols in place, and they were able to kind of use those in the episodes. And I think it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition. I also think it's interesting because there seems to be some affection between Louis and Daniel, even though their meeting didn't take place probably the way that they thought it would, you know, at the end, you know, we find out that Louis bit Daniel at the end of their interview in 1973. And Louis was upset because he didn't think that Daniel understood his story. Daniel was upset because he doesn't think Louis understands the magnitude of his own story. And, you know, and, 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 Eric Bogosian admits, you know, he was high. Daniel was high when he gave this interview. So it's a really interesting thing to think that, you know, there was a lot of kind of retconning that needed to go on. And now in their maturity, almost 50 years later, they've both matured to a point where they can have the real conversation that they weren't able to have before. And I think it's just a really interesting backdrop of how you go back and tell the story again to fill in the gaps that were never able to be told before. So naturally the stage was kind of set, right? They, 
this first episode really got into, um, you know, introduced Daniel, who Daniel is. It introduced Louis and his family. And it gave us a little sense of, of who Lestat is and, you know, that he, why he's in New Orleans and what he's doing and what he's looking for. And that brings us to the little kiss, obviously that, that scene that I think everybody was buzzing about. And, um, there's a really neat featurette on how they brought that scene to life. And it, it has something to do with four men and a seesaw and naked bicycle seat riding. And, um, you know, it's it's so interesting to me to see Louis and Lestat's relationship in that way. It's not something that was able to be portrayed in 1994 um, for a variety of reasons. And uh, it, what's interesting to me is when I was looking at some of the fan reactions and, and some of the reactions from the casual observers on social media, there was a really interesting backlash from people who, who somehow, I, I don't know why they believe this, but somehow believe that the only reason that those scenes are taking place is because Anne Rice passed away. And it's so wrong on so many levels to think that she was the one holding up those things. You know, when you look at what was going on in the, in the early 90s, you had don't ask, don't tell. You had, um, you know, every, we're just, the country was emerging from the AIDS epidemic of the 80s. And you just didn't see things like that. That that wasn't something that was common. And it certainly not, wouldn't have been common with big name stars like Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise in, in a movie. Now, not to say that they wouldn't have been willing to do that, because I think they absolutely would have been willing to, to, to explore that relationship. It was very homoerotic, but it was never, it, they never kind of went beyond that threshold in the movie. And I think that that's the reason they're able to explore these things. I mean, one, we're living in a completely different time and AMC is absolutely invested in bringing Louis and Lestat's relationship to life in a believable and, um, a realistic way. And so, you know, that's why we're seeing scenes like that. And, you know, whether or not Lestat could fly at that point, you know, there, there were little, there were little things that, you know, that they, they may have played around with. Um, but the, seeing the backlash, seeing people talking about whether or not that Anne Rice was the reason that these scenes didn't take place before is mind-boggling considering she wrote the story in night in the 1970s when you know it was as much taboo then as it was you know in the in the 90s when they were making the movie i mean she was ahead of her time and i don't think that anybody was able i, I think that's one of the reasons why she chose to have her book or her wealth of books turned over to AMC, why she gave up the rights, uh, sold the rights to AMC, because she knew that they were the type of network that would do her proud and, you know, take the story and run with it in a way that's, uh, that celebrates her original vision, because that's something that just wasn't, wasn't possible before. So it's really interesting to think that there was, that that was the backlash. And I, and it's such a powerful moment this was the this was the moment, incidentally. If you listen to my review, if you listen to the podcast review that I did of the series of the the first five episodes that I watched, 
when I was referencing how deliciously queer this episode in this series is, this was the the moment that I had in mind. Um, it's just, it's such a powerful thing to see and to, and to, it's a beautiful scene. The music in this, this moment is so, you know, up until that point, the music, the music by far is just, it, it's so amazing in this, in this series and the use of music and the use of, of, of the way the music helps to kind of guide the story along. Up until that point, the music between, you know, in scenes with Lestat and Louis had been kind of playful, flirtatious. They were courting each other. The triumphant music that rose as they rose from the ground, it was just, it, it was, it was a force of nature to see that moment come together and to hear that powerful score as Lestat takes a little drink from Louis and, and they have this moment together because it goes beyond Lestat's kind of the, the moment that he, he quote unquote captures Louis, you know, and, and, and kind of makes him his own. I mean, that, that's not what the scene was about for this telling in this this series, that moment was about Louis embracing his sexuality in a in a way that he wasn't able to do before. Because as he said, you certainly couldn't be a gay man in that day, and to be a black gay man in that day was unheard of. So, the fact that Lestat was giving him this ability to embrace his sexuality is is so powerful. But to see them come together, I mean, the chemistry between Jacob Anderson and Sam Reed is off the charts. And that's really, I mean, you see their banter, you see them, the looks they exchange, even in their interviews, even in the press that they've been doing leading up to the series, watching them, watching them interact. There's so much chemistry between them that it comes through in spades on screen and you know, the way that, that Jacob and Eric Bogosian interact is, is one way. The way that Jacob and Sam Reed interact, completely different. And it's it's so much fun to watch how it developed and to watch it, you know, kind of organically go from this um this captivation and uncertainty. And, you know, as he says, he's, you know, Lestat emasculated, you know, it was this moment of emasculation and admiration and he wanted to murder Lestat and he wanted to be Lestat. You see that come through so powerfully. And I just, it's, it's one of those moments, you know, like I said, I used the, I, I used the word euphoria in watching this episode. When I saw this episode and when I got to that moment, I knew that, that AMC had a huge hit on its hands and we're in for a big treat when it comes to what's coming in the rest of the series and, and having, you know, I think a lot of you, if you're AMC plus subscribers, you've seen the second episode. If you haven't seen it yet, it'll be on this Sunday, but I can tell you that every single episode that I have viewed has, it has taken me to that point every single time. And that's so hard to do these days. I mean, to, to keep that level of storytelling going it's not an easy feat, but they have done it and they have done it so beautifully. And, and all the credit goes to the cast, uh, the amazing showrunner, um, Rollin Jones, who wrote some of the episodes, Alan Taylor, the director of the episode and Mark Johnson, 
uh, the executive producer. It's just, it's incredible. And, and we haven't even gotten to Bailey Bass's scenes. Those will come a little bit later, but she just nails it. So yeah, there is so much to look forward to. And I'm so excited to be on this journey with everyone. Um, hopefully you've had a chance to read my interview that I did with, uh, with Jacob and Sam and Bailey last week. It's on what to watch if you're looking for it. And, uh, you can also find it on my social media. And yeah, so I just, I do want to thank everybody for listening. If you've made, if you've made it this far, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate your support and I appreciate that, that we're on this journey together. I would love to know what you thought of the episode. Hit me up on Twitter at Sarah Beth Pollock and let me know what you think and what you thought of the episode, what you're hoping for, what you, uh, any Easter eggs you spotted and, uh, you know, let me know what you thought of the, the Mayfair witches too. I mean, they did a preview of that and I think that's, uh, that's going to be amazing when that comes out also, because we've got a huge interconnected world that's building and we're just on the ground level right now. So exciting times for Vampire Chronicles and Mayfair Witches fans. So um, with that, I want to thank you. Thank you for your support. If you haven't done it already, please like and subscribe the podcast uh, so I can keep bringing it to you. And until then, we will talk soon, Vampire Friends. Thank you so much.